Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. First lesson today comes from 1 Peter in chapter 4 in verse 12. Listen now to the Word of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when His glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory, which is the Spirit of God, is resting on you. But let no one of you suffer. And now we pick up in verse, chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that God may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Discipline yourselves, keep alert like a roaring lion. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament reading, or the gospel reading from the New Testament, comes from the Gospel of John in the 17th chapter. John 13 through 17 is a uh, set of teachings from Jesus. It begins with the Passover meal, the night before he is uh, betrayed, or the night he is betrayed and arrested. And uh, where he washes the feet of the other disciples. And then um, it carries on with teaching. And so in the 17th chapter, uh, we have these words. After he had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave to me. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that, that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them and know them in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. 
I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave to me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. The word of the Lord. Yours, mine, and ours. You may have heard that. It's actually the title of a movie, two movies as a matter of fact. The first was made in the 60s starring Henry Fonda and Lucille Ball, and the second about 2005 starring Dennis Quaid and Rene Russo. I, both of them are the same story. The, oh, the 2005 version is simply a remake. They've changed some of the de details. But basically, it's the story of a, of a man who is a single dad. He is in the military. He, is, um, he has a large number of children. And then he meets this woman who is a single mom, and she has a large number of children. Together between them, they have eight, there are 18 children. They fall in love, they date, they get married, and then things kind of go into a tailspin. Life happens. Can you imagine? 18 children plus uh, a new mom and a new marriage relationship. How does this all take place? And it's one of the challenges. I, sometimes I think the church is like that. We, we, we are sort of a blended family that we come together and we have lots of different skills, lots of different uh, abilities, and sometimes they, they bump into each other in, in rather odd and unique ways, most of the time for good, but sometimes they're, they're pieces of tension. In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. He offers a prayer for followers that we receive today. Now, the Gospel of John does not have the Lord's Prayer as we know it uh, from Matthew, and not as we say it, but there, you could look at this John 17 as a version of the Lord's Prayer. It is John's version of teach us how to pray. And there are things that we can use from that. And one way to think of that is he is saying, pray for yours, pray for ours, pray for uh, mine. Pray together. We are connected together. We are involved in this together. We are in relationship with God and with, with one another. Jesus begins this prayer by praying for himself. The hour has come, he prays. And it's a good place to start. We need to acknowledge where we are in our day and in our time and in our circumstances. Because if we don't acknowledge that, then all too often those things can overwhelm us and uh, take us away. Lutheran pastor Nancy Christensen put it this way, we need God's help. So our first prayer is to be freed from self-protecting boundaries that block the progress of God's work in us. We need to open ourselves up to God's presence with us. Then Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, you have given me much, so much, and I have given it to them. Now I pray for them 
I ask on their behalf. Jesus prays for us. Friends, you and I, he was praying for those in the room, but he is also praying for us and continues to do so. Jesus prays for himself, and then he prays for those to whom he is connected. We need to remember that, and we need to pray for those that we are connected. Here in this room and in our homes and in our communities, wherever we are, we need to pray for one another. In fact, I'd even like to give you a little assignment. Look around, steal a glance somewhere during the service today, and see a person and resolve that you will pray for them this week in this circumstance. Later on in chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus also prays for those who are to come to faith. I ask not only on behalf of those that I have sent into the world, Jesus says, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Jesus prays for the world, for the, for the proclamation that goes forward, and also for those who will receive it. Praying in that way is important. Again, Pastor Christensen says, to pray for the other, an enemy or a stranger or an unknown neighbor, is to open a space of, for hope where it might not have existed before, to make room for a connection so that the true understanding of God can be explored, to remove a barrier so that God's love can permeate the world around us. Pray for yourself. Pray for those who, with whom we are connected. Pray for the world that we live in. Pray for the community, yours, mine, ours. By God's grace, we are connected. May we pray together. You may say, well, gee whiz, that sounds wonderful. Kind of pious, too, if you don't mind me saying so. But what about all the evil in the world? What about the bombing in Manchester this week? What about the two men killed on, in public transit in Portland this week? What about all the things that are wrong in the world? We need security, don't we need to pray that evil will be destroyed and vanquished? The verses from 1 Peter offer direction there. Those who first heard those words lived in a world where there, was, there, there were hard times. There was persecution. Persecution in Roman times occurred in a couple of different variations. Sometimes there were empire-wide edicts that went out. And sometimes local authorities would simply get anxious and they would begin repression. Regardless of how it happened, it was real. And 1 Peter recognizes that. In fact, there is the word suffering. You are suffering, and I know that, the letter writer says. Regardless of the legal authorizations, regardless of, of all of that, there is this suffering in the world. And to counter that, there is an affirmation that God has the last word. That's the thing that you hold on to. God has the last word. Remember that Jesus Christ died for you. God has the last word and will provide for you. But this is not a simple message of suck it up. It is a message of practice and discipline. 
it is a message that we need to hear in our own time as well. Discipline is a word that comes from disciple. A disciple is a follower. Now, if you are a disciple of a cause or a teaching, you can also be called an adherent, a partisan, a pupil, a believer. As disciples of Jesus, we are followers of Jesus, and we take what Jesus said and what the community of Jesus followers says seriously. So no matter where we are, at school or at work, in our home, in our community, in our neighborhood, we are surrounded by this larger community. It is also about seeking a way to create order in the world. Discipline is about creating order in the world. And the Christian faith has a number of practices that are part of this discipline. As a Christian, one of the disciplines we engage in is coming to church for worship. You are participating by watching or by being here. You are participating in a discipline of worship. Another discipline we engage in is Bible reading, be it daily or weekly. Another discipline is prayer. Another discipline is generosity, making an offering, be it in this location or be it in some other way. Those are all disciplines. They are practices of your faith, and they mark your life, and they will change your character as you persist in them day after day, week after week, year after year. Consider, though, this practice of faith. And as First Peter says, to those who heard him first as well as to us today, consider what you practice and begin by casting aside your worry. Now that sounds so strange, but there are a couple of other places in Scripture where we hear it. Jesus said to uh, the, those who listened to the Sermon on the Mount, consider the lilies of the field, how they neither toil nor spin, but they grow, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like any of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will God not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Paul wrote to the church in, uh, in Philippi, uh, have no anxiety, but, by, but with everything, by joy and supplication, make your request known to God. Now, it's awfully hard just to say, I'm not going to have any anxiety. I'm not going to worry. But these are encouragements, or as 1 Peter 5, 7 renders, is rendered in the message, be content with who you are. Don't be content with what you have. Be content with who you are as a person, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. Finding such contentment is not simply a mind trick. It is a way of living. It is a practice of faith. And that practice requires that we be humble. We acknowledge what we can do. We celebrate that. And at the same time, we don't put on airs. That's what the scriptural witness is. Jesus had some hard saying about people who did do that sort of thing. He said, about the Sadducees and Pharisees, 
Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus also tells us to bear in the, to, as we confront evil. An evil one, be it a personified person or a, a power that is around us, it is a part of this prayer that each week we use in worship. Deliver us from temptation. It's a part of how we do it. As, as uh, one of the modern translations renders it, God Himself for whom we receive, from whom we receive all grace and who has called us to share His eternal splendor through Christ, God Himself will make you whole and secure and strong. God will provide this for us. We rely on God, and so in humility we lay ourselves before that. But what does that mean that we do? How do we then live in this world of yours, mine, and ours? First of all, we need to pray, and that's an important part of it. We pray for ourselves. We pray for each other. We pray for those who are out in the world. We pray that God's grace and power and love will be known through us. We pray that we can be conduits for something that is bigger than ourselves. We need this prayer because the most important resource that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, the most important resource that we have is our own spiritual testimony, our own spiritual nourishment. We can read about it in Scripture, and we can find directions for it in Scripture, but what matters is how we are connected to each other and to God. We need to grow in that, and we need to live in that, and we need to nourish that. Because if that goes wrong, if that, goes, if, if that is, is harm, then our whole testimony is harmed. So we need to nourish that so that our prayers may be joined with other people's prayers for the whole of the world. The second thing that we need to realize is that we do live in difficult times. Yes, I'm talking about world events and political conflicts that are around us in our nation and in our community. Regardless of what side you are on, on any particular issue, we must realize as Christians, as people of faith, we are connected to each other, and we have a witness to bear that is connected not simply to this building, but to anyone who bears the name of Christ. Over the past few weeks, I've seen a political ad running here in Georgia. A constituent is sharing her opinion about a candidate and what that candidate did that the constituent disagreed with. I don't want to name any of this because I think it applies so often, but the tagline on the ad is what caught me. I mean, you've seen those kind of ads all over before. The tagline is what caught me because the constituent is saying that this action of the candidate in a previous position was unforgivable. That's, her, that's, that's the way the, the ad ends. That is unforgivable. Unforgivable. I have to say, it's, it caught me a little off guard because 
you expect political ads to, to say, we disagree with you and you know, you're stupid or that's crazy or anything like that. But to say it's, un, as a person of faith, to say it's unforgivable raises some questions because don't we, every Sunday when we come into church here, don't we ask for forgiveness? In just a few minutes, we'll be offering our prayers and we'll be saying together, forgive us our debts. Now, granted, if we were across the street or next door, we would say trespasses. Yeah, I, I get it. We're at, but we're asking for something for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. And then what do we say? As we have forgiven those who trespassed against us or those to whom are indebted to us. Whoa, so to say something is unforgivable, I get it that there are lots of things in the world that are awful, absolutely awful. But do we give up on forgiveness? Do we hold that out? There, all, there is the need for, for being able to reconcile, and, and there is the need for uh, actions that are appropriate there has to be culpability and, and honesty and all of that. I get that. But to say off the top, out into the void, something is unforgivable. I, it's hard. But as Christians, we can bear witness to the fact that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. And we understand that because of what Jesus did. But we also know that the forgiveness is not just out there in the political realm or at work or in any other place. It's also in this room or wherever room you are in this community. We need to nourish our relationships. We need to nourish our connections. This congregation, you know, you've known that, that sometimes churches not always about love and forgiveness. Sometimes church has been a contact sport and it leaves its marks. I'm here to tell you though that you're not unique in that. You're not the only church in the world that's experienced those sorts of things. It's not just what happens to me or what happens to you. What we do about it is what matters. What we do about it and how we find our way forward through the power of God's forgiveness, even if we don't have complete reconciliation with other people, that is what matters. This church has gone through a lot, but you know there's a lot of it, a lot of really wonderful things that have happened. Have you noticed the last several weeks the prayer of confession? I don't know if you noticed it or not, but you may have said, where'd that come from? That came from the youth of this church. They wrote that prayer of confession for Youth Sunday. And we've been using it every Sunday since. That's a good thing. There have been wonderful ways that people have shared by doing things that just needed to be done around here. Absolutely amazing. So, there's also, though, a realization that things are 
wearing away. We celebrate the good things, but we also need to take account of our present reality and where we need to be going in the future. Not recreating the past, but looking to the future and what calls us there. First Presbyterian Church of Columbus. Things are different today than they were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. That does not mean that things are bad or that there is no future, but it does mean that we are living in our present moment and we need to hold on to the hope that God will provide for us and make us strong and make us whole. That's what Scripture said. That's what the reading said. Christ himself will restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. We pray for each other and we hold in hope through the power of God's love for the surety of this moment. Lastly, to allow God to use us in ways that create God's will, will require us to focus our lives daily through humility, through prayer, through an awareness of the world we live in. Though Christ has provided a way of living to us that lets us walk through the valleys of the shadow. The 23rd Psalm says, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death in the King James Version, through the valley of shadows in, the other, in many other versions. There are many, many different shadows that we live in, challenges and uncertainties, but we walk through them. And the psalmist assures us the Lord is our shepherd and leads us to a banquet table where the Lord is a host and sets a banquet before us. Jesus walked through that valley of Jesus walked to the cross and he died there and he was laid in the tomb. But that's not the end of the story because then the risen Christ came forward and continued to minister to those who were in that day and then ministers to us in our day. This affirmation does not mean that there are not challenges in the world. There are plenty of challenges. You know that. I know that. We know that in the world outside and in the world inside. And even within us ourselves, there are plenty of challenges. But it also means that Christ is there to restore us, to strengthen us, to support us, and to hold us in the power of God's security. Yours mine, ours. Your faith, my faith, our faith. Your prayers, my prayers, our prayers. All by the power, wrapped together by the power of Jesus Christ for the sake of living as disciples and followers in this world today and into the future. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.